This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's so great to see you. Uh, welcome to welcome to church on this uh, sort of um, cloudy, dreary day before Halloween. I woke up this morning and thought, yeah, All Hallows' Eve, that's about right. That's what today feels like. I spent the better part of yesterday uh, in Eureka Springs, which is the first time, um, for those of you who don't know me, hi, I'm Ashley, and I moved here in June. So I've only been to Eureka a couple of times before, but I spent yesterday there. Um, they know how to do Halloween in Eureka Springs. If you're looking for where a good Halloween party is happening, uh, look no further. It's happening there. Uh, anyway, I, I thought it funny because I actually think the text in front of us today this, this peculiar story from Luke's gospel um, is not at all befitting of the mood of the day, actually. And I kind of love that because sometimes the lectionary seems to like really align with what is happening, you know, and then sometimes it seems to just like cut directly across the grain and go in a very different direction. And so today um, we're going to talk about laughter, um, which I will just tell you, as a, as a preacher and as a pastor, never feels like a timely th time to talk about laughter, because inevitably, some equivalent of 160 people being stampeded to death will have happened the night before you get up to say you're going to talk about laughter. Um, and that's because we live in a broken world in which things are not as they should be. And we have access to the tragedies of the world happening all around us. And so my sort of caveat before we move into looking at this text and what the Lord might have to say to us today is um, please know that everything um, that I say, um, maybe it will just best to say this, I'm not one who laughs easily often. And it's because I, for, to my shame to some degree, will carry around a lot that I um, f feel hurt and sad over, you know? Part of what we hope for with the gospel is that, you know, you want better for the world. <laughs> you want to fix things. That's probably why people like me get into doing the kind of work that I do. You want to make things better. So please know that if you find yourself heavy-hearted in a room like this, and the thought of somebody standing up here and preaching to you about laughter is not exactly like good news to your ears, um, both things are true at the same time. And part of what I love about the Lord Jesus is the invitation to hold the hard and the good you know, the gifts and the tragedy all together into the same heart and in the same place. And I think this story somehow does exactly that. So I want us to like lean into it and, and see what might be going on 
what a strange little story this is. If you grew up um, hearing of Zacchaeus uh, in Sunday school, like I, thanks be to God, did, uh, I um, grew up singing that somewhat admittedly disparaging song about Zacchaeus being um, a wee little man. Do you remember it? A wee little man was he. Climbed to the top of a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Yeah. There it is. That's what we know about Zacchaeus, that he was short and a tax collector. And I'll just tell you, you don't have to be looking too hard or paying very close attention to note that there's like something different happening in this story. The way that Luke tells it, its tone, there's almost something comedic about it. Something as if it were like intentionally meant to be um, funny. And that's not at all to suggest that there isn't something very serious to say. I have come to find this story very endearing because of the way that it makes me both sort of laugh smile and challenges me so directly at the same uh, time. The mean little rich man is a kind of trope. Uh, there are a lot of examples of them. Um, he's an angry little elf is one of my favorites. Do you remember from the movie Elf? Um, that's funny. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch Elf and you'll remember. Uh, he's an angry little elf. One of my favorite more recent examples is um, Aloysius O'Hare. If you've seen the Lorax, I have a four and a six-year-old, so I've seen a lot of the Lorax the last a little bit of my life. But um, Aloysius O'Hare, he is the founder of um, O'Hare Air, which is the company that commodifies and sells air. Uh, and he's approximately this tall, and he has bangs that are up here his forehead, and he's mean. This kind of archetype of the um, angry, small CEO who exploits people, um, presumably in order to like, assuage some kind of complex that um, he has over being small, is a kind of trope that we like to point fun at um, and have over and over in stories again and again. That's Zacchaeus. It's an ancient trope. Uh, Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and tax, collator, tax collectors, as we've said before, um, were hated. And they were hated not for, um, not for without reason, uh, particularly by the Jews, because Zacchaeus was himself Jewish, but he had been um, denounced, renounced by his people because he was considered to be a traitor. He worked for the Roman government in order to collect taxes um, from his own people, oftentimes with a high interest rate, in order to collect money, literally make money off of his own people's uh, bondage, which is kind of gross. It was also um, a really effective strategy for the Romans to sow discord in their territories. Uh, it turned Jew against Jew um, with money at the core. And so that Zacchaeus, he's, he's hated by his people, so I, I wonder, um, we're of course also meant to, to see in him a kind of victim. We have enough distance from the story to look at someone like Zacchaeus and find in him a kind of sympathetic character, you know, like we feel bad for him. Um, and right, we should to some degree. Rome had made a victim out of him as well. But just know that um, Jesus' audience would have found it much harder to feel sorry for Zacchaeus. So what we're meant to do, I think, is insert our kind of like modern-day equivalent of a villain. Um, and then imagine them. Go ahead. Whoever you find it hardest to feel sympathetic towards. And now shrink them down to miniature. <laughs> um, and imagine them in ill-fitting clothing, 
um, hurrying, scurrying, running around, looking for something tall to jump up on so that they can catch a glimpse of Jesus as he passes by. Uh, it makes us giggle to caricature people in this way, you know? We're meant to, I think, imagine some, something not unlike, um, I don't know, Stephen Colbert and his aviators, if you've seen him. Is that just me that finds that incredibly funny? Um, that's funny. Uh, he just, all he has to do is put the aviators on and he's Joe Biden all of a sudden. And, um, you know, it's hilarious. It's uh, Daryl Hammond eating french fries as Bill Clinton, you know? And it, it's funny to watch that kind of sketch comedy. That's the genius, really, and the necessity of humor and comedy is that it exercises something in us. It helps us to laugh at something that otherwise feels like inappropriate or hard to know how to laugh at. It draws out the humor. And of course, it can't just leave you there because if what the humor does is reinforce our distorted views of one another or our biases or the stereotypes that we have, well, then it's just bad humor. It's the cheapest kind, actually. Um, what Luke's doing that I find so redemptive and genius in its own right is that he's undermining people's stereotypes and their assumptions and their biases, and he's doing it, I think, on purpose. Of course, not just for his audience then, but probably for us. Jesus walks by, as Zacchaeus hoped he would, and he discovers Zacchaeus in the top of the tree. Um, Perhaps he stops because he heard people mocking him. Perhaps somebody pulled Jesus aside and said, Hey, look up there. Zacchaeus treed like a cat right up above your head. Jesus looks up um, and sees Zacchaeus and says his name. I don't know how he knew his name, but he knew his name. And he says, Zacchaeus. Hurry down. Uh, in the same way that he heard uh, or knew that uh, maybe Zacchaeus had hurried up, he now tells him to hurry down. I must eat at your house today. I must, he says. Um, the people, of course, don't like this one bit. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' home and they grumble and sneer the whole way. And you have to remember, again, this is a rich man who abuses people. So it's not easy to see people like that keeping company with Jesus or to have favor bestowed on them. Um, imagine a really corrupt slumlord or politician in northwest Arkansas. And imagine Jesus comes to town and that's the person he chooses to go and spend time with. You wouldn't think it funny. And I promise you, you wouldn't want to sing Amazing Grace at the thought of it either. It'd be tough, and it was tough for them, too. <laughs> Zacchaeus is the person in my life that I feel morally responsible for taking down a notch or two. Do you know what I mean? It's like actually my duty to make sure that you know that I don't approve of this. And I should let you know. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus hears the people grumbling and sneering, and he stands for the first time in the story. Here's this little person that's been running around, running up the tree, hurrying down the tree, running to his house to make preparations for Jesus, and now all of a sudden he stands still, and he says in response before Jesus, Lord, 
I will give half my possessions to the poor. I'll pay back four times what I've taken from them. Repentance. Why? Jesus says in response, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. This man who'd been disowned by his people and for good reason. He was a traitor and he was a villain. It's just not all he was. Zacchaeus was not primarily a tax collector or primarily a villain or primarily a traitor. He was primarily a son of Abraham, at least as far as Jesus was concerned, a child of God. And it makes me wonder, imagining him there, smallish and sheepish and confessing some you know, exuberant word of confession to Jesus that who knows how much he meant it. He just feels compelled to say it standing there, and it makes me wonder. I don't know that God ever stops seeing any of us as toddlers. Maybe we are just always and forever the smallish, sheepish version of ourselves with big eyes and stumbly legs and a desperate need to be loved. Have you ever tried to imagine the person that you really can't stand as a toddler? I once took it up as a spiritual discipline, to imagine someone exactly that way and to pray for them accordingly. I don't know how much it helped, but it felt right to do. I think there's something about Jesus trying to get us to imagine Zacchaeus this way, and of course not just our enemies or people we don't like this way, but maybe saying to us, can't you relate? Have you ever felt embarrassed by who you are and how people see you? With your big eyes and your stumbly legs and your desperate desire to be loved. Isn't that who we are? The other morning, Fisher, my four-year-old, was going to the bathroom. And I heard him, Mom! Mom! Running in there. What is it, buddy? <laughs> this panicked look on his face. Mom, one of those sticks that makes a fire, it came out of me. <laughs> I said, what? One of those sticks that makes a fire, it came out of me. There was a match in the toilet. <laughs> and in his four-year-old mind, there was no other explanation. And when I bust out laughing, <laughs> this like big smile spread across his face, you know. And I said, buddy, it's a match. <laughs> oh, it's not what happened. <laughs> and he laughed. All of a sudden, his horror transformed to joy at the sight of me laughing. And being able to laugh with me. And I looked at him and I just loved him. I've maybe never loved him more. He looked so silly sitting there, you know, with his silly thoughts about what had happened to him. There's just so much you don't understand. You're just so silly and I've never loved you more in my whole life than I do exactly this moment. You're so vulnerable. And I just wonder... 
If Jesus felt that way towards Zacchaeus when he looked up into that tree and saw that grown man heaped up with branches in his face, he never looked sillier. And whatever the instinct is that sin drives in us to want to tear down shame or capitalize on a moment like that just didn't exist for Jesus at all because he looked at Zacchaeus with his wide, wonderful smile. I know it. I don't even have to be there. I know he stood there and he looked up into that tree and he saw Zacchaeus and a smile spread across his face and he said, Zacchaeus, I must go to your house today. I must. And that wide, wonderful smile I think is what saved Zacchaeus and changed his life. The company of Jesus. The laughter of God. Hope. It's not a small or trivial thing to lose the ability to laugh. At life, at ourselves. And that's not to suggest, of course, that there isn't very good reason to be sad, mad, and afraid. There is. This is a text about a thief a man who stole that which did not belong to him and got rich in the process. But because of Jesus, he felt compelled to pay it all back. Not just repent spiritually, but to pay it all back with cash. Which means that this is a story about reparations. There's nothing funny about reparations. Just try bringing it up at a dinner party with really happy white people. I'm not discouraging you from doing it. I'm just saying prepare yourselves. It won't be funny. I think Jesus knew it was a story about reparations. There are serious times that require serious-minded, serious-hearted people, but y'all, the times have always been serious. Um, Mark Twain once said, laughter is humanity's greatest weapon. It's the weapon that we have to fight despair. It's the weapon that we have to fight hopelessness. It's the weapon against the forces that would have us be warring robots. And you've fooled yourself if you think that you don't live in a world that would turn you into a warring, cash-paying, monetized robot. That is the world we live in. So for the Jews, laughter, song, hope has always been defiant. An act of defiance. You cannot crush the spirit that laughs. You just can't. You are not a robot. You are a son of Abraham. And I don't think it's by accident that Jesus chose to call Zacchaeus that who was a son of Abraham, who was the son of Abraham. Do you remember? Isaac, Itzhak in Hebrew means laughter. Abraham and Sarai were um, old, barren, which means in the ancient world they were hopeless. They had no future, good as dead. And yet they were the people through whom God makes a wild and insane Hilarious promise. Through you two people of all people, I will build a better world. Those of you who've done the Abraham study, I will bless you so that 
you will be a blessing. Through you, I will bring healing and redemption and hope to the world. Through you two people who the world would count good as dead, I will bring laughter. And through laughter, I'll heal the world. Through Isaac. This is not the kind of Pollyannish, nervous laughter that comes easily to people who are afraid. The world arguably does not need more of that. If you find yourself to be someone who laughs often and too loud and too easily, I'm talking about a different kind of thing. Something that's cultivated by hope and a hope against hope. Frederick Beekner is one of my favorite writers. Um, tomorrow is All Hallows' Eve. It is the day before All Saints' Day. All Saints' Day is the day the church calls us to remember the departed. Not the dead, by the way, the departed. We remember those who are saints, our brothers and sisters who've gone to be with the Lord, who shaped us in our faith, who continue to live in us and through us. It's become for me a day that I remember those who have gone on, who've made me who I am. I remember with intention my grandmother, who prayed me into existence, I believe. And this year, I'll remember Frederick Beekner. He died a few months ago. He wrote my favorite novel, it's called Godric, and it's about a cranky and unsavory saint who lives by the river with two snakes. Fairweather and Tune. Frederick died a Christian, and he died a writer, but he was not always. He became a Christian late in life. When he started uh, attending church, he said, I don't, he never knew why. He could never come up with an explanation. He said, it was close to my house, and I don't know why I went, I did. No great reason, didn't see God or anything, but there was a sermon that changed his life. So I want you to listen to what he says about the words that changed him and made him who he was. He says this. He says, There came one particular sermon with one particular phrase in it that does not even appear in the transcript of his words, of the preacher's words. Somebody sent me the transcript 25 years later. They weren't there. So I can only assume that he must have dreamed it up at the last minute and ad-libbed it, and on just such foolish, tenuous, holy threads as that, I suppose hang the destinies of us all. Jesus Christ refused the crown that Satan offered him in the wilderness, the preacher said. But he is king nonetheless, because again and again he is crowned in the heart of the people who believe in him. And that inward coronation takes place, the preacher said, among, quote, confession and tears and great laughter. It was the phrase great laughter that did it. Did whatever it was that I believe must have been doing all the years of my journey up till then. Jesus is, it has always been crowned among tears and confession and great laughter. I think, I believe, I know. It was the thought of the laughter of God that gave Beekner hope. What an incredible thought that is, that God would laugh and that we could laugh with him in all of our smallish, sheepish silliness, that God would laugh with us, that he would enter into this ridiculous mess that we call life and try to live it, dare live it alongside us and laugh with us and eat fish with us on the beach. That he would be crowned as king by people as foolish as we are. I believe with all of my heart that it was the wide, wonderful smile of Jesus that saved Zacchaeus' life. 
I believe with all of my heart that one day it will be the wide, wonderful smile of Jesus that heals the world. And I want with all of my heart for his smile to be what radiates out of my life. We are the aroma of Christ. It doesn't stink, y'all. We cannot be the aroma of Christ and be sour. We're the aroma of Christ. Sweet and pleasant and hopeful. So what do I do with all this pain? You know, that's the question. You can't make light of it. We can't pretend it doesn't exist and you can't bury it away. You bring it to Jesus. That's what we do. And he's the one who transforms it and changes it, redeems it so that we can live and laugh and keep going. It's who he is. So if you long for hope and the joy of God, I believe Jesus is the place you'll find it. He came to seek and save the lost. If you are lost and without joy and without hope, I have nothing better to give you than to say you can find it in Jesus. With my life, I believe that to be true. That every now and then, not every day, but every now and then he will surprise you. He will leap up off the page or he will find you in some church in Arkansas and he will smile a wide, wonderful smile over you and you will know that you are loved and it will be enough for you to keep going. May it be so. Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen.